0: Welcome to the Real Time Recap, brought to you by the Unity Education Team. My name is Thomas Winkley, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're going to be bringing you highlights talking about the news, community efforts, and future of technology to keep all of you tied into the future of real-time 3D. You can find a link to our Unity Facebook community and Discord in the show notes. Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get the updates every time we release an episode. And if you have a colleague that you know would love to jump into the world of real-time 3D or is already there, send this their way. Welcome to the Real-Time Recap. This is episode two. My name is Thomas Winkley, and in today's episode, we're going to dive into integrating real-time 3D, and specifically virtual reality and augmented reality in the classroom. So we've got an awesome show for you. We're going to start off by having a conversation with some of our educators that are in the field right now, Mark Suter, Debbie Boscombe, and Mario Flores. After that, we're going to jump in with Antonia Forster of our advocacy team, and Andrew Connell from VR with Andrew to talk about how this technology is shaping the future. Hope you have a great time, let's get going.
1: I'm Debbie Boscombe, I'm an educator. I work in Fall River, Massachusetts at a CTE school, which which means that I have my students for an entire day for half of the year, so I have them for a lot of time.
0: And normally in these things when we get together, we go Mark second, but Mario's in the middle of my screen. So we're gonna go Mario next.
2: (laughs) Hi, well, my name is Mario Flores, I teach uh, LAUSD, which is Los Angeles Unified School District. I teach high school, and um, I do teach a CTE pathway, teach the computer science and the game design classes. And um, I've been doing this for 17 years.
3: Uh, Mark. Very cool. My name is Mark Suter. I teach uh, high school computer science, game design, and entrepreneurship at Elida High School in Ohio. And we document a lot of our stuff on GRIT, the number nine.com. That's kind of our student run business. We do web design and other fun things too. So it's kind of a, all that's where all our tech stuff goes. Any of the links we talk about, we will
0: post in the show notes. So, um, Mario, Debbie, Mark, as you're bringing stuff up, say the URL, remind me. Uh, we'll put that all in the show notes so people can go look at kind of what you're doing. But yeah, we're here to talk about education in the classroom. Education in the class. I don't know where else education would happen. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about virtual reality in the classroom. I saw Debbie's face. Debbie's like, education happens in a lot of places. <laughs>
3: I think he's learned more outside the classroom actually so it's good to be specific
0: that's fair yeah uh, but specifically teaching like virtual reality and real-time 3d in the classroom um and so I kind of want to start this off with like a roundtable question you know all of you um, have put a lot of effort into integrating virtual reality in your classrooms and obviously when you're doing this at scale whether it's at an enterprise or in a classroom there's a lot of obstacles you hit so we can start with debbie but I would love to know, like, what obstacles have you hit when you're trying to integrate this kind of content for your students? And then, you know, how have you overcome them?
1: Okay, so um, the, a big one, there's a lot of issues. Um, some are big, some are little. And the, the biggest one for me is getting everything set up to go at the beginning of the year. Because invariably, something changes, whether it's my IT's firewall setup, or whether it's The Quest has a new update and I say Quest because we were part of a MetaQuest grant. So my uh, classroom, I was gifted 21 headsets from Meta. So that's what we use. So uh, there's gonna be an update to either the headset or to the software on the PC or both. And that's generally where the hiccups happen. So um, I have to make sure that I have a good relationship with my IT department. And let them know what I'm trying to accomplish, so that when uh, when I have issues, then I it kind of helps me get them on board with things, so that they can help support me and support my students at the beginning of the year.
0: Cool. And I know Mario. In your introduction, you said you've been you know, teaching CTE and programming for seventeen years, VR for the last few. When we talked, how about you? Like, what what have you run into? What obstacles have you found? things like that. Um,
2: I've been teaching for 17 years, but only the last five years I've been teaching like computer science and well, I teach math and computer science and now I'm doing CTE for the last four years. Um, uh, I have similar as a Debbie. A lot of it comes down to doing the logistics before you actually walk into the classroom. Make sure everything, every device is set to go. Your computers are set to work with that device and the biggest obstacle for me is like my IT department <laughs> they don't they don't really understand what i'm trying to do and you know how this technology can be used in careers in the future sometimes and you have to kind of explain that to them and and there's someone someone higher up that they need to talk to so it's always this wall that you have to like climb oh, different walls so you have to yeah. up, try to clear things and I think that's the biggest challenge. Once you set things up and you understand that things are working and everything is set to go, things seems to get smooth and and working in the
3: right direction. How about for you, Mark? What are what are obstacles you've run into? So You know, initially, when I first got into this, you know, of course, any cutting edge technology, there's going to be various technological hurdles, and this pops up and updates and stuff. I'm actually going to approach this more from the philosophical standpoint. And actually, the biggest hurdle is getting complete buy-in and trust from the students that it's okay that things are not going to work some days. And we don't know why. It could be an IT thing. They changed the web filter, which this happened at my school recently. And so... I I found that if I can get that, if I can get their complete buy-in and tell them, look, trust me, I don't care if you make mistakes. I don't care if things go wrong one day and great the next, you're not going to be punished for it. Your grade is not going to suffer. And once they get that, like, okay, so like, you're going to let us play on these headsets and then we're going to build VR apps for it. Like, yeah, that's, that's the whole plan. That's it. And once they get that, then they really get motivated. And then they're like, willing to try and tackle these problems with me as opposed to, Hey, suitor, I need help. I'm going to sit here the whole class period with my hand raised waiting for you. They feel uh, like they have some autonomy, I guess, Mm -hmm. like they can go and try to troubleshoot and they're like, Hey, I need your admin password. I'm, you know, updating these drivers. Cool. Type it in done go to the next person. And once I change their mindset and get that buy-in, it feels like those tech hurdles they they're fewer or at least they don't feel so insurmountable or frustrating or stressful
0: so that actually segues this really nicely into the next like line of questioning because i am treating this like a cross-examination you're all a trial <laughs> welcome welcome yay. to tom's trials um so <laughs> yay especially with suitor here you know i'm coming at you mark <laughs>
3: come at me bro um
0: but like so like, we've talked a little bit about how you overcome these obstacles, right? Like getting IT to understand what you're trying to do, because I think there was a really good there was a really good point made, and it's something I've run into when assisting schools and IT is like, it's not always the IT person that's the obstacle. They don't want to be the obstacle most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a rule above them that is holding them accountable, and just like us, they're just trying to do their job, you know. So on that vein of making an ally out of your IT team, becoming friends, how do you, how do you sell them on that angle? How do you get them to see the vision? Um, I don't really have to pick anybody. If
3: somebody has like, I'll jump in. Yeah, sure. So, so my approach to that has been make it, make them kind of the star in a way. So in other words, I go through my PR person through the school district and I say, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And we're trying to do these great, cool things. that are going to make the school district look really good. And then that gets buy-in from my admins and PR person. And then they talk to the IT person for me. So instead of me reaching up, it's almost them not reaching down, mm-hmm. maybe reaching to the side a little bit. And that tends to help move, you know, the dominoes a little smoother. Fair. That's a good thought. Good idea. I Maybe, yeah.
1: buy them cookies.
3: <laughs> Should I buy them cookies?
1: Yeah. No, I used to, I Actually, no. I But no, seriously, I know what it's like to be in IT. And it's hard. The only time people come to you is when they have problems. Nobody actually comes to IT and goes, you know, you did a fantastic job making sure that my computer was safe last week. No, it's always you go to them because you have a problem. So they're constantly doing doing this customer support thing where everybody's yelling at you. Everything has to be done right then. So um, I I, every once in a while, I would either make them cookies or or buy them something um, from from our uh, student store. Our culinary arts department puts that together. Um, And then the latest um, IT director doesn't want me to do that because he thinks it's favoritism and i'm like well it's not meant to be that way it's meant to show appreciation because right. i know that my department it's not favoritism requires, it's
3: a transaction
1: <laughs> it's our it's our department requires so much more work i have two of 44 computers ish actually more than that but i have so 50 to 70 computers in my classrooms that I'm responsible for and I know that requires a lot more IT support than any other place in the building so I'm just trying to let them know that I appreciate them Um, but what Mark said is true Um, I have a, a lot of support from the administration so you know I I know that they they've gone to bat for me for things like she needs this we need to get this done and once I've had that conversation with them that this is what I need to do, this is why I need to do it. I am. uh, And, and I think part of it is that they understand the supports or the, the structure they've put in place is for them. And they're that we are trying to be a business inside of a school district Mm -hmm. with a CTE school. You are trying to teach students, business level skills and you can't do that when you're constantly being hampered by what they put in place to protect everybody else so if they have to break that once in a while so that we can or temporarily so we can get our stuff done they're okay with that because they're still in control
0: cool that makes a lot of sense mario what do you think
2: i'm I'm actually i'm glad that they mentioned this Um, because I've kind of do the same thing. I'm all over the place as well. I start making like a student showcases now where I invite the district people and they're like, even wondering like, wait, what is unity? Like, and I'm thinking like, wait, you never heard of unity before? In my head, right? This is me thinking showing what the kids are doing. And the first thing I do, as soon as I can, I hook anyone to the headset. Whatever the kids have done, I put on the headset, put them in the room or the kids have created little mini games and then Here you go, this is what the kids are doing. And they're like, what, the kids are doing this stuff? Yeah, this is what we're trying to do in the class. And, you know, I'm very lucky. My administration is very supportive of the program, but ITs are overwhelmed, they're busy. Like Debbie said, they have, all they hear is my stuff is not working, right? Every day. So, and when you run a lab, like I'm in the same boat, I have about 80 computers plus the Quest and some, walk on tablets and anything right so i try to what i do is i try to take on stuff stuff that i can update my you know myself during my conference or i do five computers a day as if kids are working that help them not being in my classroom but i'm trying to do similar stuff i'm trying to sell. Anytime I
3: can, I sign up and like, yeah,
2: "Yeah, I'll do a showcase for you. Let me show you this stuff.
3: Mario, I think that's brilliant. I love, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. What's a VR experience on your administrator's face worth? And then they're like, oh, well, they can make this. What else could they make? Well, all I need is a little, you know, greasing of the wheels in these IT areas. And I I love that. That's, That's great.
0: Yeah i think i think it comes down to like drawing that connection right because the first time you see something that somebody who is you know 15 to 18 builds um that is better than some stuff you've seen in industry like it's life-changing right like for me it was it absolutely was it's like oh my gosh these are kids imagine what they're gonna do when they're like adults like it's because that's where the creativity lives like that's where the free thought and like the not to make it sound like the world beats us down, but like they haven't been crunched into their little boxes of thinking that happens to us sometimes. Like they're just creative, right? And you see so much cool stuff.
2: Hundred percent. They just they just don't question it. They yeah. think about something and they try to do it. Uh, since we're not recording this, can everyone? Where's the camera?
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yep.
2: That's my principle. <laughs>
0: So nice. since when I showed a photo, for those that can see it, that's a picture a picture of Mario's principal rocking a rocking a VR headset. But that's exactly it though, right? That's the sales process because they become right. allies. And, and that's my
2: principal's boss. Yep. You're right. You on- got them in the first thing we did, like, okay, you are getting in first. Hook it up.
0: So yeah, I think I think building that like relationship and that understanding is so important, right? And obviously there's other things that have to happen there too. Like the administrators obviously have to be willing to learn that. But how many people are gonna say no and say, "Hey, let me show you something cool." Like it's very rare that a person says, "Like, no, I don't want it." Right?
1: (laughs) Most people. No. Anytime. What? My administration is just down the hall from my my two rooms, so every time somebody walks by and I've got something cool going on, I grab one of them and I'm like, "Oh, you got to see this," and throw them in a headset. Just have them check out what the kids are doing on the screen because mine aren't all doing VR because I've got multiple grade right. levels. Some of them are building websites, some of them are building 2D games, some of them are building 3D games, um, some of them are doing some crazy stuff with like JavaScript and JSON that I'm like, wow, I, it's it's crazy. I
0: I can't believe kids are working with JSON. Like I work with <laughs> JSON all the time, but like when I think of like exciting things about programming, the last thing that comes to my mind is like JSON, right? So that's pretty cool to think they're already diving into that type of stuff. That's that's,
3: that's cool. You're you're talking about the kids being super creative. Um, this is a weird 10 second side story. There is a big mink farm near us where overnight 40,000 mink got released. And so they're like wild out in the public. So there's this Those fictional mink man. Yeah. And so one of my students is like, I'm going to make a, a mink man game. And so he's making a VR game, a first person game where you go around and like kind of capture these mink and it's not meant to solve any real problems, but it's just completely playing up this local meme. Um, but yeah, that's the great stuff that's like, I don't care if anybody else gets the joke or not. It's awesome. Go for it. And that could be the next goat simulator, right? Yeah. Like, it's a, Yeah. You don't know. Yeah.
0: You don't know what that could be.
3: <laughs> mink simulator. Yeah.
0: Mink simulator five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, my dogs heard mink, and we're like, "What? <laughs> Where?"
1: Um,
0: so let's let's shift the conversation while my dogs just get excited about the universe because that's <laughs> what they do. And welcome to multimedia production with Tom. There's always dog barking in it. Um, so let's talk about like the student experience of what do you see from the students after they start working with this curriculum? Like if they've never done something like this or they're pretty new to it, what do you start to see from them after a little while being immersed in the programs?
3: I'll go first. The first thing I see once they get just the first like few lessons of this, the Unity uh, Create with VR course that we use in my game design class, they are surprised at how quickly they make something functional. And that's when they start to deviate from the course. I'm like, well, you have, you know, this much time to complete it. And so they're immediately like, well, what if I make the whole room a grabbable object? And like just throwing scripts on different things for fun. And they're like, look what I could do. And they're just going crazy with it. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You actually could do with that. That's a good idea for something else. And it just like spurs into these other ideas and conversations and like you said they don't they don't feel like they're in this box anymore they just feel like they're free to like just try things out let's break stuff we'll break code not the headsets but you know what i mean and so they get excited about it and i i love that the the bar of entry has been lowered to the point where like you said thomas there's like 15 16 17 year olds that are making stuff that used to take months of hand coding and it's just so accessible now that that's what they get excited that's what i love to watch
2: Well, I can go next um, sure. in the same lines with Mark, uh, <laughs> what I see all the time and and it's so amazing, right? Like um you know, I've done this for three times now with my classes and I stick to the Creative BR tutorials and I you know, I do the challenges and stuff. but so quickly, students they you know, like you said, they're 16 years old they have they just think of what they want and they figure out, but they find stuff in those folders, in those assets folder that I haven't even dig into it. And I'm like, wait, there was a nerdcon in there? Like <laughs> I, have, I have students that have created like multiple rooms and they have put like a little window where they have something that can teleport and they don't, they're the only ones who know where that Easter eggs, yeah. and they, they teleport to this room and they have put cans and they have the table with the guns and they have like a shooting <laughs> wrench. And I'm like, why are you laughing in the headset? Why, why are you doing this? Right? are you like, dude, what did you put in there? And they finally tell me, well, you know, we're in school. I don't know if I can tell you this, but I <laughs> this target that is kind of fun to go and mess around with. So that's always what surprised me. Like, just like Mark said, Um, Another one that is super awesome is this kid created the rune, and inside he put like this. He basically scaled the the TVs, and he everything is scaled, and he put like YouTube Metallica concert into. So he (laughs) was like playing the YouTube video, and he's doing (laughs) this, and I'm like, what's going on here? He finally showed me. He has the TV that looks like a. You know, like a movie theater, right? With a huge Metallica concert going live. So, like, that's that's always the fun part when they they just take it in.
0: Which it's means, because like I know our content pretty well, that kid would have had to figure out how to use render textures, how to use HTML web requests. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's some power there, right? Like that's a that's that's some deep digging into the Unity API to make this stuff happen. And how fast they get it—that's the other part too. Yeah.
2: Often in time, you like, I read the stuff and I'm like, okay, I think I get it. It doesn't work. They read it a couple of times and it's like, working. Like, wait, how did you do this again? (laughs) Like, oh, it says to do blah, blah, blah. And it just, it works. Like, you know, it's it's awesome.
1: And and once one kid knows it, somehow magically they all know it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you get that one kid. So my kids, I let them go at their own pace. So the kids that um, tend to go a little bit faster end up getting to create with VR faster because I start with create with code and then we go into create with VR. Like I said, we have them for, I have them for a lot more time. So those kids are ahead of the game. So when the other kids come along, they've seen what everybody else has done and how do you do that? And how do you do that? And how do you do that? And then all of a sudden, all of these kids know all of these things that I don't know, right. <laughs> which is awesome, right? Because that's my job is to teach them. No. No, my job is to make sure that they actually know more than I do when they, when they leave. Um, but I, it, when they actually come up with something like, like that room uh, that you mentioned, Mario, where they actually like teleport to another room. One of my, uh, one of my teams of students created this virtual, <laughs> virtual headset within a virtual game where you put on the headset and you get teleported to another place. And it's like a rubber duck hunting game because we have rubber ducks in our room because we do the rubber duck debugging thing uh, where you have to explain your problem to the duck before you ask somebody else or you ask me. Anyway, it works. But there's all kinds of things that they come up with. Like that team came up with this rubber duck uh, shooting gallery thing with that Nerf gun. And I've got other kids that are making um, these basketball simulators. And I've got another one making a murder mystery game. Um, Another one's working on building like these puzzles that I don't know how, I don't know why you're supposed to solve them, but you solve them and you get pieces of a sword and you put it together and you win the game. Um, It's, it's amazing how many different ideas they come up with from the same content. It's, it's amazing that that sort of creativity is sparked just by, you know, you have to put a ball in the room, you have to grab a tennis racket or a ping pong paddle and put it in the room. And then all of a sudden their brains just go, okay, what else can I do? And it's awesome.
3: Debbie, you touched on something I wanna pull out. You said, I want them to know more than me when they get out of here. When the only way that's going to happen is if you give them that complete autonomy to say, look, go look it up. I let my students use chat GPT and they like, well, it's blocked. Well, they figured out if I do it on my phone then copy and paste it and email it and blah, blah, blah. And so they're still able to use it. Now, is it a great idea? Well, not in my programming class so much, but in the game design class, we don't have time to learn programming. I don't have them for that long. It's one semester and it's one period a day. And so I show them how to use it and then we do learn a little bit of code and they actually end up then getting hungry for the code right. and then learning code on their own because they're like, "Well, I don't this isn't working." Well, you're going to need to learn a little bit to make that work.
2: It, and you know, I want to add to that cuz I'm I'm in a similar situation. And my kids are using ChatGPT when they get an error in Unity. And they get the error and they don't know where to start. They copy and paste and it goes through and it's like, oh, that's what I did wrong. And then, boom, they go back to it. And now they know how to fix it. So yeah, to me, again, right, I think our job is to give them the tools. Yeah. You give them tools, you got to be able to use these tools to get the job done. And I think it's, uh, it's you know, amazing to see how quickly they, they pick it up. I agree.
1: And chat so, GPT is a tool sorry Thomas but no, chat GPT is is a tool mm-hmm. right you still have to know enough to be able to ask it the right question you can't just ask it an open-ended question you won't get anything back right you can I've used it I've used it to help me develop something but you have to know exactly what to ask for it and if it doesn't give you what you need you have to recognize that
0: yep
1: and you either have to refine your question or you have to take what it gives you and then tweak it So either way, it's still, you're still learning. The students are still learning from it.
0: And I think, I'm glad you brought that up. And we can jump to the next thing after this chat, after bringing chat GPT, because I know AI is big on everybody's (laughs) minds, but you know, that's the big key with AI right now, right? You have to know enough to know when it's wrong. Hmm. Otherwise you go into this like spiral where you are trying to follow instructions that don't work. Um, And I think that's a lot of the research being done right now that I've seen is like, how do I, how do I make this work for me? Not how do I replace somebody, but how do
3: I make this work for me to make me more effective? I think is the mindset there. Um, it yeah. I'll, I'll add to that. Um, if right now you go to chat GPT and you say, create a unity C sharp, sharp script using the XR interaction toolkit that will make a cannon that shoots out flamingos or something like that. Huh? It will use device based controllers. Right. So it's still using the old input system. And so I, it, nothing was working because, you yep. know, that's being deprecated. I think it's being deprecated. Or I do think it's, it's being
0: deprecated. We're just, we're, we're presenting both options currently. And, and most of our new stuff is built on the action
3: based system. I think. Okay, great. Well, yeah. so and my students were finding the same thing. And so I found a couple of tutorials and put them together and made my own tutorial on how to then get the trigger as a, a you know, a float or a Boolean of the yep. A button. And then once I show them that they're like, okay, now I know how to get the key presses. Now you can do the if key press do all the fun stuff yep so i you know shameless plug i made a, a, a youtube playlist of these things for my students um I'm at garlic suitor i was gonna say where <laughs> will i find those yeah there you go. <laughs>
0: this is a podcast we gotta we gotta plug those things well, um, but, once, but once again
2: you know that's that's again an excellent tool right so one of the things that i noticed too even when you question is not as accurate as you know as you want but often you get this nice bullet list. Yeah. And if you're learning right now, you're like, wait, what is this? You don't understand what the the third bullet is. But now you have something to, you have a reference to that you can go figure out what that actually means when you're trying to make a platformer game or like some, you know, VR or whatever. Now you have something to start researching it and moving on in the right direction.
0: And I would argue that using AI for that type of research isn't much different than, like, Googling something you don't know much about, right? Like, when I'm trying to figure something out, I type in, like, the worst Google query. You know, it's like, how do fix fridge? And then it shoots me back, like, a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, okay, that wasn't very helpful. Let me read some of these. Okay, this is what, you know, like, and you start uh-huh. narrowing it down as your research. You do. And it's it's a similar process, yeah. Is 100%. And
2: hundred percent, you
3: know, and those are skills equally as important to teach the students. I think is what you just described, refining a query or, you know, Google search
1: effective Googling or looking at YouTube videos. I mean, every kid wants to go to YouTube immediately to, or to find a video that shows them how to do what they want to do, but it's never exactly what they want to do. Or it's with an older version of the XR interaction toolkit and it's using device-based instead of action-based so they have to learn how to overcome those obstacles with versioning because yep. that's what this that's the that's another constant battle with this industry is you're always doing
0: that always all right, we're getting close to the end of our time. We're trying to keep this sweet and succinct, but obviously there's a wealth of knowledge on the panel here. Um, there's a reason I wanted to talk to all you guys. Plus also, we just all haven't hung out and talked in a minute, and I was like, this is dumb. I don't understand why we don't get to hang out in Zoom calls. Um, so the last thing we should do is just, do you have any piece of advice? If there's an educator who's just getting started on this journey, um, any good piece of advice? And we'll start with Mario in the middle. We'll go Debbie, we'll go Mark. Um, yeah, what advice do you have? If somebody's been tagged to teach CTE, maybe they're just getting into it. Or maybe they're thinking about jumping in. What's your advice there?
2: I I said, don't, don't be afraid. Just like Mark and everyone sitting here, you know what, be open with the students and tell them, Hey, we're going to learn it together. Don't be afraid to look like, Oh, I don't know my stuff. I think it's like Mark and Debbie said this, right? Your job is maybe not just to teach and have them do what you said, do it my way kind of thing, Uh, especially in this industry, I think there's so many different ways you can accomplish these things. Right. So I, I would say to anyone who's looking into it, you know, just jump in, be honest with the kids. And often the kids will surprise you and teach you a lot of stuff that you're like, Whoa, that's so cool that you can do that. And I didn't even cross my mind. So just head on, jump in and that's how you're going to learn. Actually, I had a professor back in the days where he said to me, and this is right when I finished my teaching credential, he said, you wanna learn something? You teach it. <laughs> that was his advice. You really wanna learn something? You sign up and teach it. So anytime someone tell you you wanna teach this, jump in and I guarantee you, you're gonna become really good at doing that thing. So that's my advice. Just go teach it.
1: Uh, my advice would be when you run into something that you can't solve and you can't find the answer by Googling or by asking chat GPT, ask. Uh, don't think you're the first person who's ever run into that because you're not. Um, you want to make sure you check out the Unity Teach community on Facebook or on Discord and ask. OK, because there are great educators on there and somebody has run into that problem and they can help you.
3: I, I my advice would be to at First, check out the um the deployment guide that Debbie wrote most of <laughs> to be honest. um uh, the deployment guide um has a lot of good you know gotcha type things that'll get you over those hurdles quickly. Um, but going back to the just general information, I play and let play and and just keeping a an innovative creative mindset and letting the students know that mistakes and failures are not only normal but expected and good and framing those as positive things instead of well you just lost yourself 10 points you know taking away that fear because that's their fear right they don't raise their hand as much when they get to high school they don't volunteer for stuff and and that's why it's been it's been you know socialized out of them since kindergarten where every kid's got their hand up waving their hand around and then i get them in high school and i'm like guys you can talk like get out of your seat and go help that person you're not stuck in that chair and just creating that culture of help each other, the, developing the trust, a sense of play. And, and then that gets into the flow, right? Those educators you learn about getting kids into flow where the period just the time passes like so fast. And that's when I feel like you're doing something right. Even if there's mistakes happening, technical hurdles, that's going to happen. You have to expect that. But the deployment guide helps. And then also developing that culture. Now
0: that we've talked to some educators that are actually in the field doing the work, let's jump into some industry experts to see what they're experiencing driving forward the forefront of this technology. I'm here with Antonia Forster and Andrew Connell from VR with Andrew. I think we should start by, let's introduce ourselves. So Antonia, maybe you go first and tell the people about yourself.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So My name is Antonia Forster. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a senior XR technical specialist at Unity. So Essentially, that means I advocate for different solutions. Um, I spend my time coding, building demos and sample projects, and also doing webinars, traveling to conferences, teaching people, and getting people excited and on board with all of Unity's tools, but particularly with Unity's uh, VR and AR tooling.
5: And Andrew. Hi, my name is Andrew Connell. My pronouns are he, him, and I've been, I'm a simulation engineer. I've been on YouTube probably for more more than five years now, making educational content, specifically on VR and Unity. Um, other than that, I spent a lot of my time making courses, making personal projects, and just kind of enjoying VR as much as I can.
0: And uh, y'all know me, I'm Thomas Winkley. My pronouns are he, him. Um, and Andrew, I think we got introduced because you're part of the power behind the create with VR pathway. Is that yes, I Yes, I yeah. am.
4: <laughs>
5: that's awesome. another thing. One of the many things I've done over the past couple of years.
0: Well, that's, that's super cool. Our educators will be stoked to know that because we do a lot of work in the education space with the create with VR pathway. So I'm stoked to introduce you to that community. Um, cause it's, yeah, they do a lot of work with it. So I sent a couple questions for y'all. Um, and you know, I think, I think you both probably have really interesting stories about this. So like what drove you to VR or XR in general? Um, and what do you find exciting?
4: Uh, I don't mind going first on that. Yeah. So, um, I've actually, I went straight into VR. I wasn't in area of any other area of technology before I went from non-tech into VR directly, uh, which is, I guess, quite unusual. Um, my, my reasoning is also very unusual. Uh, so I used to work in zoos and science centers as a uh-huh. science communicator. I've been a professional public speaker for about 15 years. I've done a Ted talk or TEDx talk, things like that. Um, And I had this TEDx talk on LGBTQ in the animal kingdom and how people say it's not natural. Actually, it's completely natural. Um, As part of that, I came out to my family as part of that community. And it went really, really badly, unfortunately. I actually had to cut contact with most of my family. And as a result of that, I ended up in some difficulty, and some of that was financial. Uh, Working in zoos and science centers really doesn't pay very much at all. So I'd had a lot of financial insecurity issues. Um, I was actually working in a planetarium at that exact time. So I was creating uh, 3D 360 content in this big 12 meter dome, um, kind of using, I wasn't coding, but using this proprietary software. And so I decided to go into a more stable career path. And because I was already working with spherical content, I thought maybe it'll be kind of similar if I learn virtual reality. I really loved this idea of building my own worlds where I could be whoever I wanted and the world could act however I wanted without negative repercussions, Um, maybe for obvious reasons. So I bought a VR headset and I taught myself to code using YouTube. I learned Unity and C Sharp. I tried learning some other kind of um, programming languages historically before that, but because I'm very visual, I really struggled to learn with command line. Um, putting code in and getting code out, it wasn't really like clicking for me. But as soon as I learned Unity, it all kind of made sense. It was all very visual and I could use scripts to interact with these objects. So I learned Unity in C Sharp. Uh, I ended up becoming a professional VR developer in less than a year from that point. Um, and then eventually I landed at Unity doing the role I'm doing now. So uh, very unusual path, um, definitely completely self-taught um and yeah that's that's my route into vr <laughs> yeah andrew how about you man like what got you I, there
5: what pulled you in i mean i first before i even start that's a really great story and i'm that's going to be difficult to follow up on <laughs>
1: sorry but um,
5: <laughs> i would say mine was a pretty um a tradition more traditional way of going about it um i went to school honestly i was uh, starting in art doing a bit of fine art wanted to do graphic design i was at a community college and i Transferred to a four year, maybe wanting to do graphic design, but I honestly didn't take school all that seriously and didn't have a portfolio ready. And game design was something I could do. So I went into game design kind of not reluctantly, but just kind of see where it was going to go. Fast forward a couple years towards the end of my uh, schooling, I managed to get an internship at a research lab that was there on campus. And I over. After about three months of working there, I kind of graduated and I luckily got a job and we just sort of built sort of simulation educational work for like apps we did like motion control type stuff with connect we did installations and science centers um, and did did some work for like NIH and things like that so eventually. Some of the more off-the-shelf headsets began to come out. Before that, we had done some mixed reality work with some very early headsets before we had the tracking that we have today, where we had to use markers and put them up everywhere. And it was such a process to get going. But as soon as the Vive came out, it was like, oh, this, this changes everything. And as you can imagine, when those headsets came out, no one was really making any learning content. There wasn't a whole lot to learn so i eventually just kind of had to teach myself to deliver on these projects and we eventually got these really big simulation projects that were like incredibly expensive big and you know instructional design teams and then there was just me and a handful of other people that had to develop it so from that standpoint though i had a background in developing it when it came to vr it was i'm mostly self-taught not by not by choice this is kind of kind of how it worked out but after that fast forward a couple of years i i left that job and about 2017, I started just sharing my knowledge on YouTube and I didn't really anticipate the impact that I was going to have or the people that would then look to me and like ask, actually, I guess, care about my opinion or care about what I was doing. So uh, eventually I worked with Unity in uh, 2020 when we made the Create with VR course. Um, over that number of years, I worked for a lot of different companies worked doing similar kind of work. Um, and then over the past couple of years, continuing to do a lot more simulation work blended with YouTube and also creating a bit more uh I guess course focused content as well. But other than that, that's largely landed to where I am right now.
0: Awesome. Thank you both for sharing like such cool stories. I think I love to always have that question anytime I talk to industry, especially when we're talking to students and educators, because everybody I talk to has such a unique way they got into this industry. Like nobody like it's rare. It's not often the case that someone's like, Oh, I just went to school and did this. Like, it's always like, Oh, I found this love through whatever. And then I tripped over things this way. And then this is what I got in. So uh, thank you both for sharing your amazing story. Antonia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you've heard me tell you it's a hundred thousand times, but I think your story is incredibly inspiring. Um, thank
4: you,
0: Andrew, you talked about this quite a bit and Antonia, you as well, like you both jumped on YouTube. You taught yourself, both are pretty much self-taught in these worlds, especially in simulation and VR, you know, So now, aside from sharing knowledge and stuff, how do you keep your skills up to date and how do you manage the constant change of the industry we all sit in right now?
4: That's definitely one of the hardest things about XR is that it's always changing. You just can't stop ever or you fall behind. But it's also, I think it's what I love about the industry because... No one is really an expert because everything changes so much. I often say if someone has 10 years of knowledge, but they haven't been using it for the past two, then their knowledge is way less than someone who's only started learning two years ago. So I like it. I don't think there's any such thing as a kind of old guard in this industry. I think you just have to constantly be learning and constantly changing. Um, I have quite strong ADHD. I don't really have a very good memory at all. Um, but I think that kind of works to my advantage because I'm always searching for things rather than just assuming. So I necessarily every time I build anything, I either use my own documentation if I've done it before or I search online. Um, I use uh Stack Overflow and you know Googling stuff mainly. Uh, YouTube videos. I'm a really big fan of, especially for Unity because um, documentation is, I find very useful for either very high level learning like theory or very low level, like a specific method or specific function. But in the middle of how to kind of architect something in unity, I personally really, really prefer video content. Um, I'm a big fan of Dilma on YouTube. He is amazing. So I always watch his stuff. Uh, Recently been watching one of his tutorials on multiplayer VR as well. So big, big shout out to him. Um, Yeah, and just really just like using the internet as much as possible. Um, I'm kind of interested in using AI as well. So I kind of dabble with using ChatGPT or GPT-4, but I really heavily caveat that with it will lie to you and it will just make stuff up. So uh, be really wary if you are using AI to help you learn. It can be useful. I would say it's best used for things you do already know how to do and uh, you can just speed that up. Rather than something you don't understand yet, because then you'll find it hard to to catch it out. Um, so those are some of my tools.
0: Totally, uh, Andrew. How about you? Like, especially like being someone who's making YouTube content and educational content. How do you how do you stay sharp?
5: Um, I, that's a it's a difficult question. It has a couple of different answers to it. I think. I think part of it maybe just coming to terms that you one person can't know everything, and being able to just simply say this is maybe the thing that I'm going to focus on, I'm going to maybe tangentially look at these other things because years ago when I was starting, it was like there were so many different freely available interaction packages that like the big question that people were asking, like not only what engine do I use, but if I'm specifically using Unity, then what interaction package I'm going to use. And eventually I used a couple at the time, but eventually I just stuck with XR toolkit, you know what Unity provides because I thought it was the most, one, it was freely available, but two, it was great for adding on to. And that's what I really liked about it. And of course there's additional documentation. It's always like changing and updating as time goes on. But that kind of brings me into the main thing that I feel like has managed to not only bring me up, bring me up to speed to what's happening in the industry, but keeps me up to date is just experimentation. So taking XR Toolkit and being like, since I started using it largely when about the time that it first released, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't in it that I felt that could be in it, and I eventually was just like, "Oh, I'll just I'll add this to it, I'll add that to it, and then I'll make videos about it." And looking back at those videos, I got things, some things, really wrong, but partially it was because it wasn't it wasn't available yet, and some people like will comment on it and be like, "Oh, this is an XR toolkit now," and I go, "Well, it is now, but it wasn't you know years ago." So I think part of it is just being able to see everything as a whole identify hey there's a there's a gap here there's something here the same concept that actually got me into youtube is that I real i recognize that there's an entire space of educational content that just simply isn't available so I think it's a combination of those things and eventually uh, just I, I guess just continuing to build and having a purpose rather than maybe just programming just a program it's very it's much easier to go okay this is my goal I want to add smooth locomotion I want to learn how to I want to push a button, I want to add animated hands, having a very clear goal like that and being able to break it down is so much easier than, oh, I want to make a VR game because that seems like such a nebulous, like (laughs) turn, nebulous thing where you're designing, you're building and your goal may change over time. But when you're building tutorials or building features, it's much more, uh, I always don't know how to say this word, compartmentalized, that everything is just sort of collected into one place. I love that you uh,
0: you both kind of brought this up of like the experimentation and the exploration and the constant because you know I feel like every time I'm on a panel with developers that always gets brought up even of like you know we did one this morning and the big question is like well how do I keep how do I keep up and like every developer was like when you're playing a game if you like a feature just go try to recreate the feature and like that is such a good way to learn and like um, yeah super cool and I'm glad you brought up the interaction toolkit I am a huge XRI enthusiast uh, I think it's amazing. And like, I love that the features just keep getting stacked up. So I'm stoked mm-hmm. that they keep developing on that. Um, so I guess our final thing, you know, if you had to pick a couple of skills that are the most important to like stay relevant or dive into it into this industry and to stay on top of the industry, I, mean, I know we talked about staying staying skilled up, but like, what are like some skills you think are like fundamental to getting this stuff
5: done?
4: I'm gonna nominate Andrew to go first because I need to think about it for a second. <laughs> yeah.
5: It, the thing is, like, I don't know if I could say just two things, honestly, sure. because like, when we have like technical skills or we're thinking about very hard skills, I think XR is very interesting because it's a blend of those two things. Um, but when it comes to building worlds or building believable virtual spaces, you need to be able to not only observe the world around you and be like, oh this is the approximate size of this thing this is how tall a door is this is how tall a room normally is when you go into a virtual space and like you pick up an item and it's twice as big that it is in real life it's immersion breaking so just like being able to not only like look around and observe and think about things relation wise but also taking all of that and building a world and then adding a layer of problem solving on top of it because like I was like how I learned there weren't any solutions out there. So being able to not only be like, okay, this is what I need, or this is what my project needs design wise, not only how do I build it, but how could I solve a potential design problem? Because one of the great things about XR and how it's changed is we've sort of come up with all these different ways of dealing with uh, inventory or different grabbables or moving around the world, all of those things that like, aren't uh, super, Computer science heavy. They're almost design problems as much as they are technical problems. So it's just saying, um, saying like, oh, okay. Well, we have for this player, we have uh, all these objects that we want them to be able to uh, grab and store and all these things. How do we solve that? And it's just like, well, we can put things on the shoulder. We can try to things on the waist. We can there's so all these different approaches that you can slowly begin to build up over build up over time, I guess. So I guess those are the two that I'm thinking of is observational and problem solving skills. Gotcha. Uh, they're, they're both like soft skills, but I think they are things that you can train in uh, as you're building it, things to kind of keep a lookout for.
4: Yeah. That's a really good answer. Actually. Um, I recently spoke with some people at Lego and they were really interesting to talk to because they think a lot about play and use of uh, 3d space. Because kids play with toys in a 3D space. They use Lego to build 3D models and they use them in a room and put them on different levels. And that's something that a lot of uh, video game developers or video game designers, if you're working with a flat screen, you won't necessarily be thinking in a spatial way. But if you're doing XR content, You absolutely need to think about how you're going to design this experience in a space, Um, particularly as things move forward. um, I think pass-through is going to be increasingly popular um, this year and next and and in the future. So with that, what kind of content do we develop where we can use it in the room we're in? The most similar analogy we have right now is, I guess, like play or interacting with a space in real life, or if not play, if, if it's not a game, maybe it's more of like a lifestyle application. But yeah, as you said, Andrew, I think uh, observation and that kind of interaction design. Um, I also think storytelling, uh, how to communicate like the core of an experience uh, is a very underrated skill. (laughs) I think sometimes XR content can be, I want to build this thing because it's cool, but I really think that you should start with why. There's a, a TED talk by Simon Sinek called The Golden Rule or Start With Why. Uh, there's also a book by the same title. And he basically says, if you think about why are you building this? What, what are you trying to achieve? And then you can think about how are you going to achieve that? And then finally, well, what are you going to build? Um, so if you're gamer experience isn't going to benefit from being in VR, then do you have to build it in VR? Or if it's something where you want someone to stand in the shoes of another person and experience this world all around them immersively, then yeah, that sounds like a great fit. So um, yeah, I think thinking about storytelling and functionality and effective use of space is a good skill for this industry in particular.
0: Love that call out to observation and physical prototyping, right? Like, mm. yeah, like we have a lot of educators that actually do this in their classroom where they have their students um literally like 3d print something and interact with it before they put it into a vr simulation and i love that like that physical prototyping i think is so important definitely that's all i've got uh for both of you again i just want to say thank you so much for taking time to hang out to share your knowledge with our wonderful community please uh we'll put the social media information for both of these amazing people in the show notes please go follow them interact with them um and i hope you both know that i just think the world of you both and thank you so much and we'll catch you all soon
4: Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Real-Time Recap, the Unity Education Team's podcast about what's going on in industry and your link to finding more resources to teaching the world of real-time 3D. If you have questions, comments, concerns, want to discuss the topic, send an email to rtrecap at unity3d.com. Make sure to review and subscribe,
3: and we'll see you next time.